here's what we need to figure out. Since Katie is a is a semi regular guest and our our law professional, she needs some sort of some sort of uh, gumshoe esque nickname. What for when we have her okay. back? Okay, I, I take it you've got something in mind, like Katie Law Dog. Sure, you know. Well, I'm. You know, there's lots of there's. We've called her our legal eagle mm-hmm. in the past. That one's pretty obvious. Not exactly breaking new ground there. At uh, camp, I am lightning lawyer. Lightning lawyer. I answer questions in, with lightning speed. <laughs> one of the things that I'm getting exposed to being in Dallas again is all of the uh, daytime lawyer commercial spots. <laughs> because there's a lot of tough, smart lawyers, and there's the hammer. I'm Jim Adler, the hammer. I will hammer <laughs> your injury. <laughs> See, I think that's what we got to come up with. If Katie's the lightning lawyer, then what we, what we, she's got a name. So now what we got to come up with is her commercial. Oh, oh God. I'm Katie Lane and I will fast lane your settlement. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put your settlement in the fast lane. <laughs> yes. I'll put your settlement in the fast lane. That's what in it the is. Fast lane. She's the lightning lawyer. So we could do lightning lawyer, but the other name I just thought of is Esquire Esquire. <laughs> okay. No, hold on now. This is a good contender. Right? Katie Lane Esquire Esquire is pretty good. Esquire squared. <laughs> why, why, why twice? Because that's funny. Repetition. <laughs> <laughs> Katie Lane teaching you the rules of Katie Lane, we're so happy to have you back. Katie Lane of Work Made for Hire, uh, our lawyer, Esquire, Esquire, the lightning lawyer. Esquire, Esquire. Thank you for having me back. I forgot uh, how much I could laugh. In <laughs> <laughs> what, what topic have you brought for us? Uh, so we're just going to jump right into it. I- oh, you know what? We should introduce ourselves because that's something we continuously forget to do. <laughs> Welcome to Surviving Creativity, the podcast where we discuss how to live your passion and survive the process. I'm one third of your host, Scott Kurtz. I'm, I, we, we did that joke last week. You did the one third joke. I love it though. I love the one, I'm one third of your host. Then you say you're one third of the host and then Brad goes, and I'll form the head. We're <laughs> <laughs> just going to do it every week now. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Start again. Start again. Uh, Katie, would you please educate Corey real quick about how repetition is? <laughs> going to cut in, but you seem to be, you know, giving him a, 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 an out. Okay, well, start again then. That's that's fine. I got this. <laughs> Hi, welcome to Surviving Creativity, the podcast where we discuss living your passion. And, is it living your passion? What is it? How, what's our tagline? <laughs> you know what? I'll start. Welcome to Surviving Creativity, the show all about... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's such an early start. It's such an early start. <laughs> Stroke for everybody.
Welcome to Surviving Creativity, the show all about following your dreams, uh, uh, being your own boss. Boy, oh boy. <laughs> Getting up before 10 and surviving the yeah. process. <laughs> Welcome, to surviving- <laughs> Welcome to Surviving Creativity, the show all about following your dreams. Welcome to Surviving Creativity. Welcome to uh, so much editing. All I can think about is how much editing I have to do later. Please do not cut any of this. <laughs> I'm telling you right now. You will fix everybody's week if you just let this intro go as is. Okay. <clears throat> One more We're time. Right. You got We're it. doing it right this ah. time. <sighs> you ready? <laughs> Brad's going to die. <laughs> Welcome to Surviving Creativity, the show all about following your your own dreams. Welcome to Surviving Creativity, the show. (laughs) (laughs) Poor Katie, poor Katie's like, I have shit to do today. (laughs) (laughs) Katie, Katie, we're not even going to need your topic. We're we're getting this right. Go ahead, Corey. Welcome to Surviving Creativity, the show all about following your dreams, becoming your own boss, and surviving the process. And I'm Scott Curry. You're so <laughs> <good. laughs> All right, fuck the intro. Just run that. That was our intro. <laughs> now introduce Katie. Yes, this week we have a, an amazing guest, Katie Lane. Hello. <laughs> she's see now she's got it. She got it figured out. Yeah. Katie, if you don't know from past episodes, Katie is our lawyer. Uh, and she's other people's lawyer too, but mostly I like to think that she's our lawyer. <laughs> I'm with you, Corey. I'm just your lawyer. That's right. When she's here, she's just our lawyer for the <laughs> for the hour. That's the great thing about Katie, is she makes you feel that you're her only client. That's how good she is. It's true. Hi, Katie. Hi. Thanks for having me on. I'm so happy you're back. I'm so happy to be here. You brought us a topic. I did. I wanted to talk about money dollars. Mm. Yeah. I didn't know if maybe you guys had ever talked about money before. But are you ta- you're talking about talking about money. I am talking about talking about money. And specifically, I'm talking about, I wanted to talk about how we have conversations around money within creative communities and how sometimes we present money as if there is only one right way of doing it. Like there's only, you should never do this. You should always do that. But then we also don't share details all yeah. of the time. Like mm-hmm. we don't, we, I was talking to somebody last night uh, who is a, a writer for comics and found out what artists on their comic had been paid by a large company that produces many of the comics read in this country. Uh, And they were appalled to find out what the page rate was. But they had done an entire run of a comic before they ever found out what the co-creators were making because they never had a conversation about it. And because, you know, the writer didn't know, the writer didn't have the opportunity to advocate for the artist or the colorist or the letterer as the comic continued. So that's getting a little too much in the weeds uh, to start off with, but I really, I don't think we talk about money well, and I wanted to talk about how we talk about money. Yeah. This is taboo as shit. I know. This is so taboo. You know what? It, it, hmm. it's never been for me, but I think it is for a lot of people because when I try to talk about money with people, as I'm, as I'm oft to do as part of consulting, 
it's kind of one of the biggest topics. People that are paying me money, they're paying me dollars to help them make decisions, won't talk to me about their finances. Mm -hmm. That should say something. I think it's a cultural thing. I think that most people that grew up in the States were taught something similar to what I was taught by my father, which is you never talk to an adult about three things. You don't talk to them about how they spend their money. You don't talk to them about how they deal with their spouse. And you don't talk to them about how they raise their kids. Mm -hmm. It's just not appropriate. And I also think in corporate culture, it's something that has been beaten into us by employers that you're not allowed to discuss salaries because it's the last thing that an employer wants. Oh, absolutely. And I, I agree. I think that there's a lot of cultural um, uh, conditioning in how we talk about money. But I also know that we've been having this conversation, this conversation about how it's taboo to talk about money and it shouldn't be taboo and I don't want it to be taboo. I feel like we've been having that conversation for at least 10 years, if not oh, 20. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So why hasn't this conversation impacted how we actually talk about money? I feel like one of the things that happens in these conversations is we stop right around this point or we, we indulge in this point about how it's taboo and other people do it, but maybe we don't do it or we want to do it more, but we haven't figured out how to actually talk about it more and talk about it more openly. I'm curious as to why you think that might be. I think that part of that is that in offering a number, uh, you always take a risk, right? In other words, a number that you think might be a very good number or a very strong number uh, might end up, you might end up finding out that compared to somebody else, it's a very small number. Or the other way around, you might find out that your number is way bigger than everybody else's number. And now you have to deal with guilt or the repercussions. How did you get that number? The problem with numbers is that there's always a lower number and there's always a higher number. And when you put yourself out there in sharing your numbers, you're really taking a risk that you're going to be judged one way or the other uh, as a result of that action. And I, I totally get that. But the flip side of that is that if we if we do use numbers, then instead of the person with the higher number having to feel guilty, they can actually feel good about helping other people realize that there are higher numbers to be had. And the person with the smaller number can feel good about the fact that they found out, hey, I can get more. And now I have something to back me up the next time I'm negotiating. I have... I'm not just throwing a number out into the world. I'm uh, I'm basing it off of what I've learned from other people. You're absolutely right in that in a perfect world, that would be exactly how things would go down. But you know that jealousy is going to be the much more prevalent emotion. Yeah. And you think that's it? You think it's like the jealousy and the embarrassment really? Oh, yeah. Because I, I really do think you're taking a risk no matter no matter what. Your, your number is either going to be high or it's going to be low. <laughs> and there's a certain amount of risk in each case. I think that that is definitely an underlying thing in creative circles, especially in comics. But there's ego. I think there's a lot of ego involved in it, too. Yeah. The first thing that was advised to me when I started self-publishing with Dorkstorm Press, John Kovalik said, do not compare numbers. Don't do that. Mm -hmm. Don't do that to yourself. So I think that kind of contributed to don't share numbers. And here's the thing that I find that I get I get excited about, and, and maybe not in a good way. It's don't compare numbers out of context. So one of the things 
I would like to see enter into our conversations when we talk about money is the context of it and the recognition that even though we're all in a creative business, all of our creative businesses aren't actually the same. So that when we ask questions like this or when we share information like this, we have to provide that context. So one, we're not giving crap advice, right? And two, we have a way of applying that information to what it is we're actually doing, not... The, the magic artist in the sky that does everything right and whose career is perfect. Well, context is really important. I always think about that when somebody tweets from a convention floor, I just sold out of my new book. It's great. It's fantastic. I sold out. And the first question that I always think to ask is, how many did you bring? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you sold out and you brought a dozen, I don't want to hear about it. <laughs> you know, it doesn't really mean anything. Context is super important. The context is a big one, especially since in most careers, you know, like if I'm a manager at a company, the, the guy on my left and the gal on my right are both also managers of the company and we're all doing the same work. Theoretically, we should be making the same amount because that the, the context is we're all doing the same thing. But in creative fields, everybody's doing something differently. When Scott and I have given talks before about you know, financing and, and online entertainment. And uh, we talk a lot about multiple revenue streams and people always ask us, like, what's a good benchmark for this? What's a good ben benchmark for that? And it's a place that we can't give a lot of advice on because as a website that's been up for literally 20 years now, as one of the first five or six web comics on the internet, you know, PVP online is going to pull down ad dollars that a normal website is not. It's just not possible for someone with our level of traffic to get our eCPM, and we're sort of grandfathered into that. So yeah. it's really hard to go, oh, well, here's, you know, here's what we're making on ads, and people are like, I don't understand. I get that kind of traffic, and I don't get those numbers. And it's like, yeah, but the algorithm is weighing us much more heavily because the site has existed for so much longer. It has much more data that's reliable for the algorithm, I think. Right. In other words, a track record, a history. Yeah. And I think I think providing that context and providing the number is important uh, to the degree that you're willing to share your personal information, right? And I'm not just saying you guys specifically, I'm saying you in general to everybody who's listening to this. Because even if you think you are special, and even if you know why you're a bit of an outlier, Providing information like the fact that the algorithm is going to weigh you heavier because the site has been around longer, so there is more consistent data for the algorithm to use, is helpful for somebody to know who's just starting a site because then they can say, all right, I know that one of the things that's going to help me is the amount of time that I'm around and building the reputation of the site as far as you know search engines are concerned. And I, and I think one of the things I see in these conversations is that we stop Corey, you know, kind of around where you were talking, where we say, well, I am different because, or it's hard for me to give uh, any information because uh, I've, I've got these, these things that are a little bit quirky about my business. But right. I think we still limit ourselves when we stop the conversation there. And again, I realize like sharing specific details about money is uncomfortable and not always appropriate but I want to I want to push everybody to to say hey this is the context that I have I'm a little bit different because and here are my numbers okay so what I'm what I'm hearing and, and, and I'm behind this idea conceptually and your first piece of advice is 
share numbers and share them in context. What's some other tips or some other advice that you could uh, share to help people do this effectively in their daily lives? Right, because we've we've identified now the problems. You've got an embarrassment potentially of not making enough, uh, a jealousy potential of making too much, because we often see that, right? You'll see a lot of creators who they're like, oh, I'm going to share all of my numbers. And they're very public about all their numbers. And then all of a sudden they hit a certain point and then they just stop talking about it. Mm -hmm. They stop sharing numbers because now they're like, you always are going to say, look how great we did. Totally. But if you do that, if you're actually doing great. (laughs) <laughs> you say, look how great we did. There's going to be this backlash of people that are, well, you're not an indie creator. Mm-hmm. You don't need or deserve my help. Uh, your Patreon's huge. I don't need to give you any money. Right. Right. There's there's that baseless claim by people and the fear by the creator of, well, you're not going to support me if you think that I'm doing well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, Corey, that actually goes to the first piece of advice that I would give, which is have these conversations primarily with people and in communities where there is a certain level of trust, right? Like we don't need to start having public conversations on Twitter about what everybody's annual gross was, but even just talking amongst ourselves a little bit more honestly about what we make, that information is going to get disseminated amongst professionals. Or, you know, if you're talking to somebody, say, hey, I'm happy to talk to you about it, but please don't share it without, you know, asking me first or, you know, not using my name. But I think we have to start off by having the conversations in places where there's there's enough trust to, to share that information. I think the other thing is that we can't keep giving advice that is so generic. Like there's a website that I, I like because it collects information on page rates for comics and what uh, publishers are paying creators to make comics. But what I don't like about how they present the information is they present work for higher rates as being comparable to rates where the creator owns the copyright and is being paid, you know, half of net profit. That is a, yeah. those are totally different situations. And if we keep trying to compare them just because the actual labor is the same, we're, we're hurting ourselves and we're hurting each other. Yeah, we're doing a disservice. One of the things also I want to talk about when it comes to money is something that I learned once Corey came on board. And Corey's been with me now for five years, right? Uh, yeah, full-time five years. So for five years out of the 20, I've had someone who runs my business with me. And one of the things that Corey taught me coming into it was how to look at money differently and what's happened in my understanding of of money since he came on board and the company has changed is this economy of scale. Because one of the first conversations we ever had, and I'll, I'll never forget it, was myself, Corey, and George Rohack sitting in a, a Portland restaurant having brunch. And I said to George, Corey keeps asking me what I want to do next, and I don't know what to say. I I never made any plans beyond becoming a professional cartoonist. And George said, well, if there's one thing you'd like to happen this year, what would it be? And I said, I want my um, income to double. And George goes, no, 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 that's easy. <laughs> what do you want to do? And I go, well, slow down. <laughs> How is that easy? And he goes, well, that's just going to happen because of scale, because your bandwidth is doubled. I mean, you you have a, an established comic. You have a thing that could be making you more money. You just don't have the time. And now you do have the time because there's two of you. So that's just going to happen. And it, and it just blew my mind that George could so easily dismiss doubling my income <laughs> as this 
easy thing, but the reason why is because that was going to happen naturally. My expenses were going to increase as well, and that wouldn't be so impressive of a task. But in the last five years, my company has never made more. And I don't think, I think in the last five years, I've never made less <laughs> than I am now. <laughs> your, your, gross is, your gross has gone way up and your net has gone way down. <laughs> well, my personal net, what, I'm, what I make as a person a year. Well, yeah. But things have changed. I want to pay Corey. I want to pay my contractors. Angie has lost her job and come to work. And so we're trying to make that happen. And there's just, as far as what the company generates, you know, it's just one of these things like, if I were to tell someone, well, what does your content generate? You know, what's the number? And I go, uh, I don't know. What is it, Corey? 350 grand a year? We did, we did almost half a million last year. I didn't see that. <laughs> Personally. <laughs> no, not even. I mean, that's gross. So then once we take out, uh, I mean, look, you know, anybody listening to the show is going to hear that number and go, oh my God, that's mm-hmm. so big. Well, again, let's talk about context here. So we've got this number, right? We're just going to ballpark and say 500,000. But also keep in mind that we've got three full-time employees who all have salaries. Uh, We've got seven regular 1099 workers who are contractors that are work for hire that are paid on a a monthly basis. We've got three creators whose work we're publishing and in distribution that all get royalties from us. So at the end of the year, after our gross, I think the company nets maybe, maybe, $6,000, $7,000. I mean, you also have all the the money that you're spending on merchandise and books and travel and taxes and professional services. Like it it adds up and you have to understand what the company needs uh, outside to, to really understand what that number means. You know, it's a really good microcosm of it that I've found, Katie. The Kickstarter, mm. because we do we've done two Kickstarters for Table Titans now. Each one has been close to a hundred thousand dollars. One was a little over a hundred thousand. One was a little under a hundred thousand. And at the end of a hundred thousand dollar Kickstarter, after all of the products and goods and services and people have been paid, we're maybe putting in the pocket about eight grand, mm-hmm. maybe. And that's not that doesn't even include the taxes we're going to have to pay on that Kickstarter because we try to reduce the taxes by getting the books in production in the same year that the Kickstarter money comes in. That way, it, it balances itself out. But if you think about it like that, this is a really good microcosm of a company, right? Because mm-hmm. when you run a Kickstarter, it's like you're running a little company for a, for you know a year or for a few months. You know, a hundred thousand dollars comes in, and you've got books to print, you've got products to make, you've got shipping, you've got Kickstarter fees, you've got backer kit fees, you've got contractor fees. So we've got a designer, a printer, we've got pre-press, page layout, we've got designers who design merchandise, we've got other companies that we work with, all this stuff comes in. Now, at the end of that, we have a bunch of product, Mm -hmm. which we can then sell and make money on, but we don't have any money. (laughs) <laughs> and I, I think I think if you can run a Kickstarter and break even after all expenses and taxes and things are paid, you're flipping amazing because then you're using mm-hmm. Kickstarter well, right? You're using it basically as a financing arm to allow you to expand your business. It gives you the the cash dollars, the liquid assets necessary to invest in your business and produce something that you want to be able to sell to people. But 
I think people misunderstand, one, how expensive a Kickstarter venture can be. And they misunderstand when they see the big numbers, what the costs are behind it that are beyond things like, okay, yeah, I know you had to print all the books and sure the stickers cost some money to to make, but geez, come on. No, there's there are lots of different things that are going on behind the scenes. I think also people underestimate... Uh, <laughs> What I see most regularly is people underestimate both the cost and the labor involved in fulfillment. That is one where people, I will talk to people who are really excited about, you know, doing exceptionally well. And then they get to that point in the process and they're like, oh, dear God, I did not enough for this time, money wise. I hate fulfillment. I hate the post office. I love the post office. Why doesn't the post office love me back? You know, like, (laughs) <laughs> it's uh, it's pretty intense. I just pulled up our P&L for the volume two Kickstarter and the profit, this is after everything is paid for and all the shipping was done, was $7,622. And that's on a $90,000 from Kickstarter, $11,000 from Backer Kit. So we were over $100,000 and the take was about seven grand. That's not even enough money to pay for my time mm-hmm. on the work that I did to get those products made. And also just to get back to the kind of the concept of sharing numbers and and being more comfortable with with the concept of what you make and mm-hmm. in in the greater context of what everyone makes. There's a there's a context of scale as well. Mm-hmm. Uh we had the opportunity to meet Jim Davis a couple years ago and I thought, well, this is my opportunity, so if you have any questions for this man, this is your one shot. Now's when you ask it. Mm-hmm. And so I, I had this conversation with him and I said, look, I've, I'm not just a cartoonist on my own. I have a company. We make about half a million a year. I'm, 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 when, when do you stop worrying about all this? You know, when do you hit, what should I do to get to a point to where I'm making the stuff I love. I'm not worried about paying my people. And he goes, Oh, that never happens. <laughs> it just grows and it grows and it grows. <laughs> And you always have to feed the beast. Yeah. It's a beast that always has to be fed. And I'm like, okay, no offense, Jim, but you ostensibly have the second largest comic property mm-hmm. on the planet. So even the guy that draws Garfield, who gets a lot of shit for just being so corporately and and monetarily minded, which I think is unfair, but mm-hmm. even he is worried about paying his people, mm-hmm. you know, keeping his company going. And he's fucking Garfield. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just a matter of well, that's that's life. That's how it works. I was just going to say, I think that's an important thing to remember in these conversations is that hardly ever are you going to talk to somebody who is not worried about money. Money is always going to be a worry in some way, shape, or form. That's going to change over time depending on the business and the 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 point in time you are in your career. Uh, it's it's going to ha- There are lots of different factors that are going to influence it. But if we can accept when we enter these conversations that everybody involved is worried about money in some way or another and that that worry is valid, I think we are better able to have conversations because then we're not thinking of it in terms of, well, this this person makes more than I do or they they set a higher number than I have ever even thought of. Um, They must be fine. Screw them uh, for thinking that (laughs) that's normal. If we can, if we can get over the the idea that you get to a place where money is no longer a worry, 
I think we are better able to hear the actual information that's shared in these conversations. And we're better able to share uh, information because we accept that we're not the only one worried about money. That is that is a universal uh, feeling. Yeah, I think that's the point of what we've been talking about, right? Is that context of like, look, 500,000 seems like a humongous number. Uh, and it is. It's a big number. It is. It's a lot of money. Yeah, but when you when you break it down into the context of the situation. I mean, we're talking about, we have two websites that regularly cost us a couple grand a month just to keep up, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. We've, we've got, <laughs> Scott's like, oh God, it's so expensive. Uh, but you this know- It's usually behind the curtain for me. <laughs> but but it's like more, more <laughs> traffic means more cost and and everything scales to some extent. And I, I know for a fact because I've had these conversations with creators that there are creators who are much smaller, making much more money <laughs> than myself or Scott or anybody else because they, they've scaled in a different way. So I feel like when it comes to talking about money, context is important, but it's also so difficult in, in a creative space because of that comparing apples to oranges kind of thing. So you know, Katie, how do we, how do we get around that? Like just throwing around numbers, I I don't know is necessarily going to help us. And even understanding context isn't necessarily going to help us as a, as the one person who's still monitoring our Twitter feeds. Like I know that this episode will come out and we'll catch a shit ton of flack from uh, particularly small indie creators who are going to talk shit about how terrible we are because we're rich and don't understand. And, you know, (laughs) clearly we were never there before and et cetera, et cetera. I've already received a very angry email from Brad. (laughs) (laughs) I think part of it is we can't control how other people react or behave. That is, uh, that is sadly one thing I have learned in life. You don't have any control over other people, which is why it's important to have these conversations in trusted areas. And Twitter can be a trusted area to have the conversation if you're comfortable with the fact that there are going to be some people who don't listen to you or um, they're bringing their, they're bringing their own crap to the table and that's what they're reacting to. Let's have conversations in trusted um, environments with people that we trust. Are you saying we shouldn't have talked about our numbers on a podcast? No, 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 no. I'm saying, I'm saying that that's totally fine. And I want more people to do it in context. But if your worry in having these conversations is that somebody else is going to react poorly, yes. Like, that's just part of it. So I'm making, um, a, I'm making a note to cut from 24 to 50. <laughs> <laughs> So basically, we're starting the show over. No, that's not at all what I'm saying. Let's I'm just welcome saying- Katie Lane to the show. <laughs> <laughs> Katie, you brought us a topic today. What do you want to talk about? <laughs> I want to talk about pup. You know, we need a good nickname for Katie Lane. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Katie, I have a question for you. Should comic work for higher professionals, namely the ones from the big two, or just comic freelancers in general, should they unionize and why or why not? Ooh. Oh, geez. That is a good question. Um, and I'm going to give you a really boring answer, which is I don't know because unions tend to work best when there is an employer with an employee 
relationship with the people that they're they're working with. And that's not the situation that we have in comics, right? They're intentionally hiring people on a contractor basis. And a lot of artists want to be free to work for lots of different companies at the same time. So I don't know how effective a union would be. I do know that if we all started to agree, like, here is the line with certain types of work in certain situations, and we're all going to ask for that, that would push those companies to start offering better terms. It would also require everyone to discuss their numbers. It would require Mm. everybody to discuss their numbers, and it would require everybody who potentially works for those companies to be part of the union. And that's, I think, where this all falls out, right? Because- the union would have to be in this situation voluntary and you're mm-hmm. not going to get everybody to volunteer to participate in the union. And if the union is not complete, it's not nearly as strong. You know, Katie, that I've advocated unionizing for years now in the comic industry or, or at the very least some sort of loose guild. And it always breaks down when the conversation starts about money mm-hmm. because some creators are getting paid much more by the big two than others. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they either are worried that their salaries will go down because they have to meet somewhere in the middle or that revealing what their salaries are is going to turn into some sort of backlash from their peers. It, it all comes into this weird fear thing again where you know everyone is kind of pro-guild or pro-union until they realize that they have to then tell everybody what they make. And that's where it all falls apart. So years ago, when I was doing uh, webcomics.com, I had the idea to do a contract bank. And I was spitballing out loud to the members. I said, what if we started collecting contracts and I would strip out the identifying information and we just had a place where you could share uh, different contracts for different types of jobs without obviously knowing who this was and and which company was offering it and so on and so forth. And surprisingly, I got <laughs> I got a real pushback on that. And I, in fact, I had one member uh, of the site who was who was uh, an an NCS guy who uh, wrote me a, a fairly threatening email saying if you do that, <laughs> you know, I will report you and uh, and I backed away from the idea. But I've never given up to who? On- the president of comics? No, 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 he wasn't he wasn't a president. He w- he was not the president of the NCS. He was an NCS member. But who is he going to report you to? Who would he report you to? Oh, I don't know. But, but you know me, I, I grew up Catholic. As soon as he said that he was going to report me, I didn't want to get in trouble, and I just walked away from it. Get me the Pope of Comics. <laughs> but I always wondered whether that wouldn't be a useful resource. In other words, we're talking about uh, uh, being more transparent in our numbers. Let's get proactive how would we put together a resource for people, a searchable resource, uh, and and stay within what's required by law? Mm-hmm. How could we do something like that to give something uh, that somebody could search? Hello? Hello, S- Scott? It's the Pope of Comics. <laughs> Hi, uh, I have a question. Um, I was threatened by an NCS member, you know, the group of people that uh, – are, are so hell-bent on helping cartoonists. Um, and he said that if I try to help cartoonists, he's going to call you. Is he just an old man that's very angry? Or should I... <laughs> no. I, I will 
I will release the white smoke and the Inquisition will You should not down. talk about this. You are not Catholic. You don't know what oh, that means. Boy. <laughs> <laughs> what, what was worth? The, the, the Catholic dogma or the uh, Italian accent? I don't know what <laughs> accent that was. I'm going to jump in here before this goes real, real bad uh, and talk about contracts. So I think, Brad, one of the things that, that, that usually interrupts this is that a lot of the companies now have language in their contracts that says, hey, we're going to share information with you. You promise to keep it confidential. And oh, by the way, that applies to the terms of this agreement as well. Mm-hmm. So it limits what the person with the contract can really do. And the intent there is to limit uh, dissemination of information about how the how the contracts work. They don't want you to go to and appear and say, hey, I just did a deal with these guys and I was able to get them to agree to X, Y, and Z. You mean they don't want us talking about money? It's as if. So I think I I really like the idea of having a contract bank. I think that that would be potentially really useful. I do think that that is the one limiting factor Mm -hmm. um, is that somebody has to decide whether or not they're going to share the contract in a way that, that technically breaks that promise um, and hope that that is not found out by the company that they, they entered the agreement with. That would be my one hang up too, is that like there are, even in our contracts, there are, well, I don't, you know what? I don't think we have that in our contracts. You wrote our contracts. I, I did. And I don't like that term because I think yeah. it's bullshit. Uh, so I, yeah. I tend not to write. I mean, that's to, to me as, as an employer, like if the people, most people that have a contract from us are on 1099 and if they want to share that information Go nuts. That's yours to share. Like, I'm not worried about yeah, it. Yeah, considering what we're paying, I am fine with it. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen what other companies are paying colorists, and Steve's got a great deal. <laughs> <laughs> Steve and Bill do get paid very well. It's true. So uh, you go share that information. I love colorists I, kicking in I, our in door. In fact, anyone that works for me. Anyone that works for me, if you want to leak that uh, bleeding cool, feel free. <laughs> <laughs> we can really reduce our rates. We can make more money that way. We can, we can pocket more ourselves if we pay everyone less. Yeah. Get, get better margins from yeah. uh, uh, oppressing the labor. Just just us, Corey. Just, <laughs> just us you and I. Yeah. Yeah. I, do th- I do think there is a way, though, that we could gather information about what's in contracts that would allow people to share some of the more pertinent terms. Uh, including stuff about money, and then present that information in a way that is in context. Instead of comparing work for higher page rates to creator-owned page rates, we could share that information so that we're com- you know we're comparing apples and apples instead mm-hmm. of apples and puppies. One of the things that we haven't talked about uh, that I would like to say is that money isn't valuable in and of itself, right? It's paper. And sometimes it's not even paper. Sometimes it's just digital information that's being transferred back and forth. The thing that makes money valuable is what it allows you to do, what it is it is permitting you to do within your life, within your career. And that is not like some wonky, fancy, you know, pie in the sky idea. It really is. Money is valuable because it pays your rent because Mm -hmm. it buys you groceries, because it gives you the ability to hire an assistant who allows you to spend more time on your comic. So when we look at an offer that we are given in terms of what is the value here, as opposed to what is the money, 
we're better able to make decisions because I might agree to a lower rate or less preferable terms on the rates if I am getting an opportunity to do something that I've always wanted to do and I know will give me opportunities to do more of the work that I've been trying to get to. So money in and of itself is not the only thing that we should be looking at when we look at at work and jobs. It should be the value overall of the offer that we're being given. Mm -hmm. I think that really speaks to to money in context, like you were saying before. So we've got a couple key points that I'm that I think I'm taking away from what you're what you're laying down, Katie. We've got to talk to our peers about this. I think talking openly, publicly about it, maybe it's it's still too sensitive a topic. I think for a lot of people, especially in art, you know, because it's so subjective to go out and say, "Here's what I made for this piece of art," or "Here's how much my podcast pulls down," or "Here's what my YouTube channel gets." I mean, people there there's way too many too many wheels turning for that to be. Apples to apples across the board. I love your apples to puppies, by the way. <laughs> so ta- I think talking to peers is a really good one in, in a direct context. You know, like I do this with my comic, podcast, YouTube channel, uh, uh, Twitch channel, whatever. What do you do with your similar thing? Oh, that's different than me. How how else are you different? What's mm-hmm. the context of this? So I, I think speaking to peers is a big one. Uh, an- another thing that we talk about on the show... Uh, sometimes that I think is kind of coming up here is comparing yourself, your success to someone else's success. Mm. Their success does not negate any of your success. Right. They had different goals. Right. And so comparing your success to their success is silly. They weren't, yeah, they, it's weren't, they weren't working for the same thing that you're working for. And it's so easy to do now, especially in the day of social media, right? It, it would be really easy for me to look at Brad and go, you know, ah, oh, God, he's doing so well with all the stuff he's doing. What's wrong with me? Why is why am I broken? Why are my finances broken? But it negates the success of what what you as an individual have done. So I think in talking to your peers, you've got to keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Comparing is fine within context, but remembering that someone else's success does not diminish yours in any way at all. Yeah. Yep. And you know what's funny? A nice little button to wrap this podcast up. Once we achieve a perfect world where everyone talks about money uh, properly, it's not going to make a difference because even when everyone agrees that a comic book company has shitty rates, they'll still sign that contract <laughs> because it's their one <laughs> That's right. Because they're going to believe Because when people do talk... Because when people do talk about money and I see it like, oh, God, I just did a job for this company and their rates are crap. But I'm also doing a cover next month. And the guy's like, oh, I'm going to see if I can get a job there. And then they all complain about the rates, but they keep taking the jobs and no one ever does anything about Mm -hmm. it. So that's the other thing that as you advance in your career, I think you do have to understand that you have a responsibility in terms of what you are telling other people about the companies you work with by working with them. You know, there are younger artists that are looking at the work that you're doing and saying, oh, you're working with that company. They must be fine. Know that they are not fine. I'm not saying you got to turn down the job, but just know that you are encouraging more people to work for a company with crappy terms. Yeah. Just by signing the contract, just by working for them, you're intentionally or unintentionally advocating 
them as a, as a business, as mm-hmm. a company. Mm-hmm. One of the other things I wanted to share, uh, just in terms of resources, the uh, Graphic Artists Guild website is gag.org or mm-hmm. graphicartistsguild.org. They are GA Guild on Twitter. And then um, there's a website that uh, has a lot of good resources just in general about finances for artists. It's ohmydollar.com. She's got a uh, good blog. She's got a couple classes. She does a radio show where she's talking about finances in terms of a creative art career. So this is not the advice of take 10% of every paycheck and put it in your savings account. <laughs> she knows you don't have a freaking paycheck, right? So right. I, I've, I found her advice to be really more helpful for artists who are building income from lots of different places. Those are two places I would like to add to that if I could. Mm. Ah, there's a great blog I found. It's called workmadeforhire.net <laughs> and it's run by Katie Lane. And it just uh, it recently, uh, Katie, you did a fantastic post about how to read a contract. Oh yeah. Steve Lieber shared that. That's actually from a couple of years ago. I abs- oh, yeah, that's how it came across my radar. Absolutely invaluable. And, and uh, you, your darn site is just slopping over with great stuff like that. Well, thanks. I am also on Instagram and I finally figured out a way to make stories like kind of fun for me and make sense. So I'm contract nerd over on Instagram and I've been doing like daily stories that just give you a little bit of information about how creative contracts work. So Oh, like those video stories. Yeah, yeah. Those are those are surprisingly popular. <laughs> so uh so listen, I've got a show closer. Oh. I've got a great show closer. It's a game show. Scott, can you give me some game show music? Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to play Super Fight with your host, Brad Geiger. So here's the deal. My son, Alex, was down at PAX Unplugged. He picks up this card game called Super Fight. (laughs) We're going to play a modified version. We're going to have a fight among the four of us. And you have to explain how you are going to win. And then we're going to vote on a winner and a loser. The loser that has to close the show. You've been listening to Surviving mm. Creativity. These are your hosts, blah, blah, blah. The winner gets to decide how the loser is going to do it. Like you can say, do it <laughs> in a Pope accent. You can, you can, you've got to do it while you're singing. I love it. So I love it. 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 Uh, uh, so Scott. You're up yeah. first, and, you, and you'll just have to take my uh, word for it that I'm picking these cards randomly, okay? <laughs> All right, go for it. Scott, you've got a horde of orcs armed with an enchanted glaive. And I have to tell you how I defeat them? I'm going to give each of us a character and an attribute, and you're going to have to explain how you become the victor in this four-sided battle royale. Okay. Corey, mm. you are the mountain... <laughs> And you are lawful good. Boy, I'm so glad I didn't get that one. I don't know what either one of those things means. Sorry, Corey. <laughs> hey, I think I'm already undefeatable. Uh, Katie. Yeah. You are a murder hobo, and you are armed with a dwarven warhammer. That's right, I am. And I am Gollum, armed with a bag of holding. Okay, Scott, you go first. Okay, first I got to figure out which one of us is holding this fucking glaive. (laughs) 
because you said we're a horde. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to get a giant trench coat and we're all going to get on each other's shoulders and just be one giant orc with a glaive. (laughs) (laughs) And we're going to try to get into a rated R movie and avoid the fight. (laughs) (laughs) You're opting out is what you're saying. Yeah. The only way to win is not to play. Okay, Corey, you're next. Well, uh, as a lawful good mountain, I'm lawful good, correct? Right. I mean, I stand the test of time. I'm nigh indestructible. The movie theater is at my basin. Gollum's cave is in my side. The murder hobo lives amongst my trees. I just have to wait it out. I don't I don't even have to try. I simply have to wait and let time immortal destroy all of you and i and i will continue to stand ah fuck off you went to a movie (laughs) all right well i'll go next so we can let our guest go last i'll give katie the best uh position here as Gollum, this is perfect because the whole character of Gollum is about stealing things and holding on to things and i've got a bag of holding so while scott is completely distracted by the r-rated movie i wait for a certain scene and maybe some frontal nudity run up there grab the enchanted glaive i run over to the murder hobo and i get the dwarven warhammer put that in my bag of holding and because it's a bag of holding and it can hold anything i'm going to put the entire mountain right in the bag of holding and i'm just going to walk away with the whole thing can it really fit inside me i I don't think you can get a whole mountain in a bag of holding i don't think so either (laughs) i mean he could get it in there if he could get the mouth open wide enough or maybe if he spent time rock by rock putting it into the hole into the bag you're also assuming that i'm at the movie theater that is true true. i'm not i've been riding the rails on a murder spree to get my my murder quotient up for the the month i was a little bit low last month so Gotta put in some extra hours. So I've been riding the rails and I'm on the I'm on the railroad, the train that just happens to stop in the parking lot of the movie theater. And from my open boxcar, I decide to throw my hammer out onto the parking lot pavement, creating an earthquake, which then sparks a volcano. Uh, the mountain to erupt in a volcano. The the earthquake crumbles the movie theater, killing everything inside of it, including Gollum and the horde of uh, orcs. And uh, the mountain is is no longer. And I just I just stay on the train and keep going. I'm not happy with this. Yeah, I think we I think we right, lost. So boys. I think I think we're done. It's time for voting. We've got the horde of orcs in the movie theater. We've got the mountain just waiting it out. We've got Gollum stealing everything and walking away with it. And we've got a murder hobo <laughs> <laughs> enacting some volcanic justice from a train. Uh, so everybody has to vote on a winner and a loser. Scott, what's your vote for winner? Katie. Uh, Corey. Katie. Uh, you know what? I got to vote for Katie, too. I, I'll, I'll make it three. And Katie. Now we have to vote on a loser, Scott. You. (laughs) You son of a bitch. Corey. You're not fitting a mountain in a bag of holding. No, yeah. No, you lose, bro. You're not getting a mountain in a bag of holding. I'm I'm putting it in. It's a big bag. It's not big enough to put a mountain inside of it. All right. Well, I I choose Scott. I I think going to a movie is a cop out. It's a big cop out. So uh, I'm choosing Scott. Uh, Katie. See, and I I've got to go with Corey because just being a mountain is not actually an action. 
It's it right. I'm a mountain. Well, now okay. hold on. Everybody's got a no vote. So who's the decider? Does Katie decide? No, because Brad, she no. We both voted Brad. Yeah. Oh, that's true. I'm a winner. So. <laughs> So I've got to close the show, and Katie, you get to choose how I do it. I, I don't want to say anything to sway you. I do a incredible British accent. <laughs> Bullshit. <laughs> if you listen to Comic Lab, I also do a pretty good Johnny Carson. <laughs> Could you do it as... A, uh, a, a a member of the ruling class in Britain who has fallen from grace and now spends his time riding the rails as a murder hobo. <laughs> oh, okay. There's got to be a lot of subtext in this. I want to really Brad, to, hear it. To interpret what that might sound like. I don't know. Okay. Is the jazz playing now at this point? I can I can just run right into it. I, I'll put it all together. You'll sound all great. right. Bye. I, I do say if you wouldn't mind bringing me a cup of tea while I'm looking out the windows at the passing by landscape. All right. Now, you know that there's only there's only like nine seconds to wrap this up. Right. <laughs> listening to Surviving Creativity, a show about maintaining your brains and your wits while you're maintaining a creative life. Your hosts have been Corey Cassoni, Scott Kurtz, Brad Geiger, and our special guest, Katie Lane. Surviving Creativity can be found at patreon.com slash surviving creativity. He just dropped the accent. What? You can do it, Brad. Keep going. Keep now he now he kind of sounds like nixon what's happening here i know what's going nixon. on that was that was straight up british that was that was magical thank you it was everything i hoped it could be <laughs> i'm not a crook and be sure to give us a five-star rating when you go to the iTunes. Please don't rate us based on that closing. Please.